from McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois, this is the ASN Kidney Week 2016 podcast, a discussion of the latest scientific and clinical advances presented at this year's annual meeting. ASN thanks Opco Renal for its support of this podcast. Well, hello, and this is another podcast from the American Society of Nephrology Kidney Week. This is from the third day of the meeting, and I'm Ray Harris, the current president of the American Society of Nephrology, and I'd like to introduce the other participants. I'm Patrick Nachman. I'm uh, chair of the PGE committee, uh, originally from UNC. My name is Pamela Tran, and I'm an assistant professor. I'm in the Kinney Institute and Department of Anatomy and Cell Biology at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And I'm Steve Crowley, an associate professor in the Division of Nephrology at Duke University. Thank you all for participating. So we're here just to tell a few of our um, experiences and impressions of Kidney Week to date. And um, perhaps I could start with um, Pam. What have you seen that has interested you or excited you or that you'd like to comment on? Sure. So there have been many highlights for me at this meeting. In particular, I've really enjoyed the two plenary sessions yesterday and today. I thought both showed phenomenal research. Um, Yesterday, I thought it was just a really good demonstration of how research that occurs in a completely different field can really impact our own research and can be really relevant if we know about it and learn about it. And today, I thought um, it was another really good demonstration of, of looking at organisms that we don't always tend to think of, and I think a very common question whenever we have a hypothesis is, oh, which mouse should I use? And it's not a bad question, but on the other hand, there are um, a lot of other organisms that we can use that have utility and benefits, and so I think it's important to always remember that. Great. How about you, Steve? What have you seen that has really excited you? Well, I have come to the ASN in part to see the latest advances in research in the pathogenesis of hypertension, and I have been really excited about the confluence of themes in in research over the last couple days. So first, as you mentioned, Kevin Tracy was talking about this neuroimmune access in disease, and during that talk, he cited work from Dr. Lembo's group in Rome looking at a possible role of this access in hypertension. The very next session, we had this getting on your nerves session, and uh, Daniela Carnavali from Dr. Limbo's group actually presented some of their work showing that the spleen is required for a full hypertensive response, and indeed that innervation of the spleen is required. Um, But the question arises then, which of these immune cell populations get involved? And so today, it's really exciting because uh, there's a session going on right now looking at the role of different myeloid cell populations. So these would be dendritic cells and uh, macrophages. Uh, How are these cells involved in hypertension? So Dave Harrison is here talking about how dendritic cells activate T cells, driving blood pressure elevation. Ken Bernstein is talking about another myeloid cell population called myeloid-derived suppressor cells that actually suppress the hypertensive response. And then, as you know, Ming-Zi Zhang is talking about the capacity of uh, COX-2 activity in macrophages to suppress salt sensitivity. And it's uh, one of the neat sort of paradigm shifting aspects of that work is that as nephrologists, we certainly believe that uh, it's uh, hypertension is about salt retention in the kidney, but part of Ming-Zi's work is that COX-2 activities, macrophages in the skin can facilitate the removal of, uh, of dermal salt storages and thereby protect against salt sensitive hypertension. Patrick? How about you? Um, yeah, so my work is primarily on glomerular disease and been to uh, 
had a chance to go to a few sessions. I, I think following a little bit on your theme, Steve, it's fun to think back about uh, not only this week, but several years. And I've been to a session yesterday on membranous nephropathy. And it was amazing to me because so in 2009, the major antigen for membranous nephropathy was presented at ASN, uh, PLA2R. And the session yesterday evening was brought this, uh, you know, so we're seven years out now, and we've gone from an initial observation to the, to the refinement of understanding the immunology of, of the antigen, the confirmation of the work, now knowing, uh, having a clearer idea of where the antibodies attack the molecule. And then the next step is we now have a test that is clinically available and we had a beautiful presentation by Dr. Wetzels, for example, on how could we use that test in clinical practice. And the fourth session of the two-hour block was you know, the translation of this into clinical practice and how discovering the antigen has essentially changed how we're going to be thinking about clinical research in that field. So it's really been, in a two-hour block, it was almost a, a review of going from an, an observation in the lab that had been 20 years in the making to you know, fast forwarding in very short period of time and taking it to the bedside and affecting clinical research. I think that this is what makes ASN really exciting. And that two-hour block was also, to me, a very good example of what we're thinking of now in putting together these sessions. Uh, they're no longer separated by you know, base, pure basic or pure clinical, but during those two hours, we've moved from the, the biology to the immunology to the application and, and clinical practice at the end. So it's really the tr epitome of translation from, from discovery to application. I think that's right. I think what all three of you have really highlighted is the excitement of the field and what is happening. I was just sitting here thinking as Patrick was talking that when I was in training, it was, quote, idiopathic membranous nephropathy, and there were so many diseases that were idiopathic, for whatever that term means, just because we didn't understand the mechanisms, we didn't understand the etiology, and we definitely didn't understand potential treatment. And I think that now, as we are in our 50th year, and, and when you go back and you look from the time 50 years ago when most kidney diseases really were idiopathic. We really are starting to crack open the code to so many diseases and understand that. And I, I think that all of the sessions that you've highlighted are, were really very exciting. I was, I was in quite a number of those. I, I want to highlight something a little bit different that, that I did today, which actually is also important for all of us as nephrologists, as researchers, as everyone interested in the field to really keep at the forefront. And that was, uh, I went to the Kidney Stars Luncheon, which was to honor the, I guess, 239 stars participants. These are the medical students and graduate students and undergraduates who are here to, to really get excited about kidney disease. It was actually, it was so big that they actually had to start putting tables outside in the hall because there were too many 
But, I, but what really was striking was the, this was an association with the American Association of Kidney Patients, and Paul Conway, who's the president of the AAKP and is a kidney patient, uh, a kidney transplant recipient, spoke so eloquently about the importance of remembering to keep the patient at the forefront, that everything that we should be doing should be focused on the patient, that we should have communication with the patient, that we should interact with patients, and that we should get the patient voice and the patient experience involved with everything we do. And I think that was one of the, the really most striking things that I've seen at Kidney Week, and I think that it's, it was heartening again to, to see that. I mean, it was, we saw that with Dr. Trace. He started with his patient. He described this yes. patient. And then this morning, even in a talk on fruit flies, the whole conversation about how to treat the disease was really focused on patients with diabetes. And I love this notion of imprecision. What is it? Imprecision. Imprecision medicine. medicine. It was yes, like yes. A sort of another paradigm shift. Yes. But it was really about treating the patient. And perhaps if you're going to treat a patient for a long time, you want to have a low level, but many, you hit many targets at the same time. I think on a, on a completely different level, I just came from a, a very interesting um, session that was, I think it was titled, from not very, it basically it was from complex to very complex or something like that. Mm -hmm. But any, in any case, the, the first talk was from investigators at Jackson Lab who have been using older mice to study and have been using now outbred mice where they they actually have, have crossed with a number of different strains, so it's not just an inbred mouse. And the bottom line of what they found is that there, with aging, there's a correlation with the protein expression of different proteins and not necessarily with the RNA expression, the mRNA expression. So even though we do many, many studies in, in looking at RNA-seq, et cetera, but what they're finding is that at least with aging, with changes, a lot of it is the expression of proteins and that it's not necessarily related even to the protein expression of a specific protein may not be related to that expression that you would see on a GWAS. It may be another associated gene that's, um, that's altered. So I mean, again, it just reemphasizes the complexity of what we're facing, but the excitement of uh, opportunities for really understanding disease. Mm -hmm. I thought in today's plenary session he talked about agglutinoctylation yeah. of proteins and there again is an example of protein modification yes, exactly. playing a role. You know, so the other session I went to is one of the oral presentations, 10 minutes, and it's always difficult to make your case in, in eight minutes, but those are phenomenally in, informative. Again, it was a, a GN session, and I was struck by the breadth of not only topics, but approaches from some that were very cutting edge, if mm -hmm. you want, very complex methodologically, um, and some that are very basic in concept. I am a little biased about this, but sometimes I feel that we lose sight of the very simple questions that we need to ask. And one session that caught a lot of attention yesterday evening was a reanalysis, a statistical analysis of what proteinuria reduction should be that would give us the best type of uh, correlation with long-term outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and it this simple idea with tapping into the Neptune database 
um, has allowed us to reset our thermostat, so to speak, to, to say that you know we've been dealing with one definition that mm -hmm. came up a long time ago, and just by reanalyzing things and looking at them slightly differently, we could come up with much better ways. And of course, each one of these pieces of the puzzle builds and builds the full picture that we see at ASN and it's really fun to to put these pieces together and I think that this is what the big meeting is about right sure. is bringing the proteomics and the fruit fly and and the human and the, and the, and the epidemiology and, the epidemiology and, 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 and going all back together, to basic yes. questions to make them fit into a better whole exactly and I feel like a, a great meeting brings greater context to maybe literature that you've read before. And right. in one great example of that, I think, is the discussion that we saw of the sprint trial, the standing room only in there. And Dr. Apple explained that, I mean, I was already excited that aggressive lowering blood pressure will make a difference, yes. will make people live longer. But then he explained that, you know, with respect to kidney disease, the findings may be even more important because in the other studies, like the AS trial, it was the patients who had proteinuria. Well, these in the, in the SPRINT trial, you didn't have as much proteinuria. So if you follow these patients for longer, I guess, because he said it was a relatively short trial since it was stopped early, we may have even greater findings, you know? So now I'm even more excited about the, the SPRINT study. All right. I went to the late-breaking session this morning. I tried never to miss that. And the thing I liked also about it is you know, we always bemoan the fact that we're not moving clinical research fast enough in, in, in the kidney field. But going to the late-breaking session is reassuring that, yes, there's a lot of work going on. And it really covered the spectrum from CKD to hypertension to transplant to lupus, nephritis, uh, FSGS. And uh, there were two present, one or two presentations that really cover the whole mm -hmm. spectrum. You know, some of them don't pan out. Some of them are really very uh, exciting. And I think there are at least two presentations this morning that were really very enticing. These are not phase three trials yet, but hopefully uh, we'll get there soon. Sure. Probably another great example of um, wh where you're finally seeing real progress, I think, is in preeclampsia, and there's going to yeah. be the session tomorrow on Dr. Karamanchi with S-Split-1. I mean, that's, a, that's been a huge breakthrough, and sure. finally, sure. after years and years, you know, right. trying to understand. Another, quote, idiopathic disease that we're <laughs> now understanding the cause just through a combination of great research at all levels, both, um, you know, really going from bedside to bench and then back again oh. in that, in that indice indication. I also went to the clinical trials this morning, and um, the last one on the FSGS using a drug that targets two molecules at once. It was, it was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that does say that our field really has a lot to offer, and there are a lot of opportunities, and it, it is, there is an, a lot of excitement. And I, I hope that everyone who has experienced this Kidney Week has come away with that feeling that we are really poised on so many instances to really make the great leaps forward in, in treatment and in understanding disease and really in, in helping our patients. And I couldn't think of a better career than being a nephrologist now, and I could not think of a better field to go into if I were a researcher than to go into um, kidney-related disease. So 
I hope that anyone who hears this podcast who's wavering in any way will know that it's a rewarding and exciting career and a, a great place to be. And cool people to be and nephro- with. <laughs> and nephrologists are all also, the, and everybody involved in nephrology are the greatest people in the world. There's no question. Thank you. Listening to the ASN Kidney Week 2016 podcast. Support for the Kidney Week podcast is provided by Opco Renal. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.